Welcome to Calvary Chapel Sebastian Podcast. We hope that you're blessed by this message. So, does everybody remember what book we were in on Wednesday night before? Genesis, Genesis right? We finished Genesis. But the theme of Genesis was the book of the beginnings, which was creation. And the Exodus is continuing that story in Genesis. Now, God declared everything he created was good in Genesis 1:31, correct? But then God created man. And then it was good, but then man sinned, right? He rebelled, and the last verse in Genesis ends on a very low and tragic note. So if you have your Bibles, we're going to be in Exodus, but let's look at that last verse in Genesis, and that is Genesis 50:26. And it says this, So Joseph died at the age of 110, and after they embalmed him, he was placed in a coffin in Egypt. He was in a coffin. The book begins with creation and ends with a coffin. Joseph was one of the most Christ-like men that you'll ever see in the Bible, yet we see him in a coffin. In Genesis 2.17, it said this, But you must not eat from the tree of good and evil, for when you eat from it, you will certainly die. Now remember, Adam and Eve, it wasn't the fruit in the tree, right? It was the pear on the ground. The pear on the ground sinned, and that rebellion started against God. And in Romans, it says, The wage of sin is death. So now, as we start Exodus, is there a way out? Is there any hope? Is there a plan? Well, the answer is yes. We know that, right? Because we know we have the book. We've read the ending, and we know we win, correct? We win in the end. And God was very much aware of the oppression and the suffering of the Jewish people. And we'll see God's redemptive plan unfold in Exodus. As we follow the journey of the Jewish people of Exodus and watch them walk to freedom, Exodus connects us in all the scriptures often cited by Jesus. In the four Gospels, it has a great wellspring of knowledge about our faith, such as the burning bush, the Ten Commandments, the Passover, and God's never-ending care for his people. The theme of Exodus is deliverance, and you can't have deliverance without a deliverer. And God provides Moses as the great liberator, legislator, and a mediator. And we'll see a similar movement of the events in the coming of our deliverer, Jesus Christ. We will connect with Moses I got sorry about that. I had all these announcements up here. I'm getting rid of them. They're making my stuff slide all over. Sorry. <laughs> and we will we will connect with Moses in his human frailties. When God gives the Moses the divine commandment to lead the Israelites out of Egypt to freedom, we'll see his ordinary response. Does anybody know what that response was? Anybody? 
Oh, Lord, please send someone else to do it. How many times have we done that? Lord, please, let somebody else do that. But that was Moses' human response to that. Today, as we search for moral compass to guide us through these complex times that we're in, we can find it in the book of Exodus. The way out, and the title of this series is called Walking to Freedom. The book of Exodus is the book of redemption, where we see God's heart is for us, and that he has a plan to deliver all of us. We will look at the early Israelites, our spiritual forefathers, as God led them out of slavery into freedom, out of darkness into light. As we go through this book, we'll see their amazing flight, and we will see and feel their struggles. We will become close to the Israelites, God's people, through this book. We will get a picture of their faith and our roots in faith as well. And we will discover that absolute faith in God is the only compass we will ever need to guide us anytime and anywhere. Most of all, Exodus will connect us to God. The Lord in Exodus is the great champion of his people, just like he is for us today. Unlike the gods of Canaan and Egypt, God dwells among us and never abandons us. Is that correct? We know that. God's always with us. God loved them, and he loves us no matter what. Sometimes we really put God to the test, don't we? Sometimes we test him and we test his patience, but he always loves us. Exodus is a good picture of God's character and it teaches us one thing. The first point I'd like to make tonight is this, that God loves us completely, unconditionally, and eternally. God loves us completely, yes, amen to that. God loves us completely, unconditionally, and eternally. His desire is to set us free, all of us who are enslaved by sin and stuck in a coffin. We will not stay in that coffin. We're going to heaven. And as we start tonight's series, Walking to Freedom, we're going to walk to freedom. We're not stuck in that coffin. So I want to give you a little bit of history about Exodus about what was going on at that time. Um, Egypt was a major world power and a cultural center that attracted a lot of people from all over the ancient world. It was around 1900 BC. There was a strong influx of Semitic people into Egypt. They were escaping a drought. So they were coming in there. From within this mass immigrants, there was a revolutionary coalition that had formed. So there were some unhappy Egyptians, right? You know, we're getting ready to be on our one-year anniversary of the one year of insurrection, January 6th, which is tomorrow. So people were unhappy with the government, just like they are today. But the new rulers of Egypt were called the Hyksos, and that stands for the Rulers of Foreign Lands. This is probably about the time that Joseph arrived in Egypt as a slave. It's quite likely that Joseph's rise to government 
and his warm welcome attributed to the presence of these Semitic Hyksos Pharisees. Then later, Joseph's father and his entire clan settled in the eastern Nile Delta of Goshen. And the Jewish rabbis called Exodus the Book of Names. And you'll see that when we open up the book of Exodus tonight, because as we open it up, it lists all the names of the sons of Jacob who brought their families to Egypt to escape the great famine. The story of Exodus begins with the book of names and the death of Joseph. And the Hebrews were suffering under cruel and unusual conditions, bondage, and they were oppressively under slavery. They will be enslaved for 400 years. So now we're getting ready to start Exodus, Exodus chapter 1. These are the names of the sons of Israel, that is Jacob, who moved to Egypt with their fathers, each with his family, Reuben, Simeon, Levi, Judah, Iskara, Zebulun, Benjamin, Dan, Naphtali, Gad, and Asher. In all, Jacob had 70 descendants, 70 descendants. Remember, that's an important number. In Egypt, including Joseph, who was already there. In time, Joseph and all his brothers died, ending that entire generation. But their descendants, the Israelites, had many children and grandchildren. In fact, they multiplied so greatly that became extremely powerful and filled the land. So now Joseph has just died, and the Hebrews started multiplying. They were growing extremely fast, and they were becoming extremely powerful. And now we see that God kept his covenant promise with Abraham by blessing his descendants and causing them to multiply. Remember, they started with 70, and they're up to about 3 million right now. There's about three million of them. So God has blessed them. And God always keeps his promise, doesn't he? He always does. The Bible is full of God's promises. And it's not really possible to count them all. You could try. Some people have tried to do that. And they say there's about 3,000. Others counted 7,000. But there's a guy named Herbert Lockyer who wrote a book called All the Promises of the Bible. And he claims that there are over 8,000 promises in the Bible. And another person says there's 8,810. So it really depends on your source. But I can tell you one thing. I don't know how many promises are in there, but I know we live by the promises of God. We live by the promises of God, not by the explanations of the world. So when we look at God's promises and we know he's faithful and he's true. But God told Abraham that his offspring would eventually number as many as the stars in the sky and the grains of sands on the seashore. A generation later, God made the same promise to Isaac and again later to his son Jacob. But God also said that they would spend four generations or 400 years enslaved. God had moved steadily down through the years, fulfilling his promises. And isn't that how God moves today? He moves through those. But however, God's promise to Abraham had not been completely fulfilled. God said, I will make you a great nation. So the Hebrews had grew in numbers, but they didn't become a great nation yet. 
So why were the children of Israel in Egypt? God told the Ab- Abraham and his descendants that they would go to a strange country and they would be enslaved and mistreated. In Genesis 15, 13, it says this, Then the Lord said to Abraham, You can be sure that your descendants will be strangers in a foreign land where they will be oppressed as slaves for 400 years. God's promises, that's why they were there. God was giving them a promise. They would multiply and they would become a great nation. But God's promise was in this creative mode, I would say, right? It's still in this creative mode before it became reality. So what do I mean by that? What I mean is it was like living in between, in between God's promises. And sometimes we do that tonight. And the title of this teaching is Living in Between, because that's what we're seeing. As Christ followers, we must know God's timing is different than ours. Do we know that? God's timing is not like ours. God's timing is different. You know, for me, I'm, uh, I'm kind of like an instant gratification guy. You know, I, I probably told you the story where we went and bought furniture, and they told me I had to pay for the furniture, and it was going to be like 30 days before I got it. And I'm like, you mean I can't grab a lamp, something, because I'm not giving you this without taking something home with me, right? I kind of like that. We want stuff right now. And we've heard other teachings about Amazon, right? Amazon is now saying one-day delivery, but it's taken two days. I can't wait two days. Can we wait two days for that? Think about if God was running Amazon, okay? God's running Amazon, and we're already upset. We got one day, now two days. I don't know how to handle this. But if he's running it, listen to what it says in 2 Peter 3.8. It says this, But you must not forget this one thing, dear friends. A day is like a thousand years to the Lord, and a thousand years is like a day. His timing is not our timing. So the next point I want to make is simply this. God works over the course of centuries to bring his promises to fulfillment, and we must be willing to wait on the Lord. How many times are we willing to wait for stuff? We can't even wait two days for something, but we must wait on the Lord. In the sixth century, we find another story. The author of Isaiah and many of his fellow Jews were living in exile in Babylon And they spent their entire lives waiting to return to Jerusalem. And some of them died before the dream was ever fulfilled. Others had felt that God had forgotten them. But to these weary and restless people, Isaiah spoke these words of encouragement. And these words of encouragement are for us today, every time we get discouraged. Isaiah 40, verse 31 says this, but those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not be faint. So we must wait upon the Lord. The next point, if you're taking notes, true faith is the ability to wait on the Lord. We have to have faith and wait on the Lord. 
And sometimes we find ourselves at the point where we're just ready to abandon everything. All hope, we're ready to do something frantic, we're trying to do it on our own, but we have to remember those words, wait upon the Lord, because that's what he wants us to do. Sometimes growing, the process takes time, and we can grow impatient, and we can go, grow very stressful, stressed out over all of that. And stress in our lives is not good. Years ago, we had these bracelets. It was yes, no, and wait. You remember those? But a good friend of mine always told me that the yes, no, and the wait was really yes, no, and grow. Because during that time as we're waiting upon the Lord, we're growing. And growing is painful sometimes, is it not? It's painful. When we grow, it's painful. Waiting is difficult for all of us, but we must be patient. When the world presses in on us and we're waiting and we're so impatient, what comes out of us? What comes out of us? Does the fleshly part come out? Or does the spiritual side come out? I can tell you what comes out of me. You know, you ever heard that, the, the, uh, I think it's first, first Corinthians, I can't remember the exact address, but it says, the old is gone, the new creation has come, right? Well, that old man to me, he comes back to visit a lot, just to let you know. And when he does, it's the flesh that comes out. But in Galatians 5, and 23, it says this, but the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against these things. And that's what should come out of us when the world presses us in. When we're waiting, the fruits of the Spirit should be evident in our lives. Impatience is such a stressful factor in all our lives. And we can, can, can incur a lot of pain as we wait. If we get restless and we start doing things on our own, we become weary and we become exhausted. So we need to wait on the Lord. And we'll see as the Israelites do that tonight, they wait on the Lord. The next point is we need to live under the influence and power of the Holy Spirit. So the next question is I was back to is, why were the Israelites in Egypt? And they were, an in they were in like an in-between state, in-between promises, right? God had put them there as a chance to grow. He planted them there for a season so that he could prepare them for the promised land. God used Israel's experience in Egypt to prepare them for a special task, he had given them to accomplish here on earth, bearing witness to the true living God, writing the scriptures, and bringing the Savior into the world. That's why they were there. They were there to grow. They were there and in between his promises because he was multiplying them. His promise hasn't been fulfilled of making them a great nation. And God said they would spend four generations, 400 years enslaved in Egypt, until the iniquities of the Amorites 
was fulfilled. Until the sin of the Canaanites had risen to a place where he had no other option but to judge them. Their sins were horrible. They sacrificed children. They tortured each other. And out of God's loving kindness and mercy, he gave them years to repent and turn from their sins. But they did not. People tend to think that God is cruel when they read in scriptures when he says about wiping out the Canaanites. And the reason I bring this up, because a lot of people want to make that point that God is, he's an angry God, he's a mean God, he's not. Nothing can be farther from the truth than that. God is exceedingly kind and unspeakably patient with all of us, is he not? God waited over 400 years to see them turn to him. And now he was ready to let his people take over the land. And why is it taking so long for Jesus to return? Because God wants to give everybody the chance to repent of their sins and put their faith in Jesus Christ and receive him as their Lord and Savior. Now, if we get back to Scripture, on verse 8, it says, Eventually, a new king came to power in Egypt who knew nothing about Joseph or what he had done. He said to his people, Look, the people of Israel now outnumber us and are stronger than we are. We must make a plan to keep them from growing even more. If we don't, and a war breaks out, they will join our enemies and fight against us. They will escape from the country. During the years that Joseph had served as second ruler in Egypt, his family was greatly respected. And after he died, his memory was honored in the way the Egyptians had treated the Hebrews. But now there's a new king. There's a new king there that he knew nothing about Joseph. And this is the old, what have you done for me lately, right? Isn't that what happens? Someone new comes in, doesn't matter what you did before, but what have you done for me now? And Joseph wasn't doing anything. So this new king, he had some concerns. He was fearful. They weren't causing any problems. They were actually a blessing, just as Joseph had been in the past. But Pharaoh basically said the Jews were a security risk. There was a possibility of issues coming up, and he was not going to take that. He said no doubt they would join their allies and they would fight against them. So he was afraid of the Jewish people. And we see this throughout history, don't we? We see that throughout history. And so he needed to make a plan. No people in recorded history have ever suffered as much as the Hebrew people. Every nation or ruler that has persecuted the Jewish people has been punished for it. And after all, God's promise to Abraham in Genesis 12.3 says this, I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all the people on earth will be blessed through you. God kept his promise in the way he dealt with Egypt and Babylon in the ancient days. And in more modern times, we see him dealing with that as well. God is long-suffering, but eventually his hand of judgment falls on the oppressors. Does it not? Eventually, 
it does. So let's see what happens. The new Pharaoh was not happy with this rapid growth of the Jewish people. And now we see him taking some steps to control them. In verse 11, it says, So the Egyptians made the Israelites their slaves. They appointed brutal slave drivers over them, hoping to wear them down with crushing labor. They forced them to build the cities of Python and Ramesses as supply centers for the king. But the more the Egyptians oppressed them, the more the Israelites multiplied and spread, and the more alarmed the Egyptians became. Hmm, interesting, huh? So the Egyptians worked the people of Israel without mercy. They made their lives bitter, forcing them to mix mortar and make bricks and do all the work in the fields. They were ruthless in all their demands. They had made them their slaves. That was the answer to it. And then how we do it? Make them their slaves. In business, what do we do when somebody's competing with them? They buy them out. You work for me now. And that's what they're doing here. They're making them slaves. And as they made them their slaves, they were still a threat. And Satan has always thought of the Jewish people as a threat. He's always tried to destroy them. He knew the enemy knows that the Messiah would come from the nation of Israel. And he mistakenly believed that if he could destroy the Jews, he could stop God's plan of redemption. So Pharaoh thought he could stop them as well. So he made them slaves. He was trying to oppress them and to kill their spirit and stop their growth. Just like our enemy does to us today, does he not? He tries to oppress us. He tries to kill our spirit. But that isn't going to happen. They work them ruthlessly, forcing them to build the cities. Most likely the pyramids of Egypt were built with slave labor. But God continued to bless them. Despite adversity and oppression, their numbers had increased. God certainly kept his promise, even under these extreme circumstances. If you're taking notes, the next point is this. Trust God and make him the God of your circumstances. Whatever your circumstances are, God is there. And he's the God of your circumstances. Keep your eyes focused on him and above your circumstances. The Egyptians tried to wear the Hebrews down by forcing them into slavery and mistreating them. They had specialists that, were, that specialized in treating people badly. Instead, they grew even stronger. God allowed his people to be afflicted so they could exercise that muscle called faith. Faith is a muscle, and we have to exercise it. We have to use it to make it grow. When we're burdened or mistreated, we may feel defeated, but our burdens can make us stronger and develop qualities in us that will prepare us for what lies ahead. Spiritually, we're broke down like the muscle, Sometimes when you work out, you have to break the muscle down before you can build it up, right? How many of you guys work out? How many of you ladies work out? You have to break those muscles down before you can build them up. And that's exactly what has to happen with our faith. It needs to be worked, 
hard. And in these times, that was exactly what was happening to the Israelites. It was necessary for them to build their strength and their faith to give them victory. God had promised them that he would free them by his power at the right time. In Genesis 12, 14, it says, But I will punish the nation they serve as slaves, and afterwards they will come out a great, with great possessions. Now God in Deuteronomy compared Egypt to this smoking furnace where his people would suffer. But their experiences in that fire would refine them and transform them into a mighty nation. And sometimes for us, don't we feel like we're in that furnace? We feel like we're in that fire? I know I do. And I know what God's doing. He's refining me. He's getting rid of all these bad things. He's trying to make me more like his son. And their experience refining them will make them into a great nation. But there's one thing. We cannot be overcomers if we don't have something to overcome, right? How can we be an overcomer if we don't have anything to overcome? And that's what was going on here. God had planted them there so that they could overcome all these adversities, so that they would become a great nation. They were trusting and waiting on the Lord in the hard times because even in the worst situations, it can make us better. God allowed his people to be afflicted so they could exercise their faith and grow stronger. We can't be overcomers unless we have something to overcome. And God was showing the Israel, excuse the Jewish people that. He was allowing them a season of growth, a season of slavery and oppression so they could grow. And they were waiting upon the Lord because they were living in between these promises. That living in between. And we live in between sometimes, don't we? Because we wait on God's promises. It's yes, no, wait, or grow. And we have to live in that in-between state. But we have to rely on God. We have to trust in Him, wait upon Him, despite adversity and oppression, despite all the things that are going on, we have to wait on God in every situation. We have to trust Him, make Him the God of our circumstances. Now, these blessings that the Pharaoh was seeing with the, the Jewish people growing, he became very frightened. He became very frightened. And as we get start next week, we'll see, not next week, excuse me, because we have prayer week next week. The following week, we'll see what he does next. And what he does next is kind of unspeakable. And you have your Bible so you can read a little bit ahead about what he's going to do. But even in the worst times, the worst situations, God works everything for the good for each and every one of us. Because God loves us unconditionally and completely. So tonight, I don't know what your situations are, 
whether there's oppression or there's suffering going on, but just remember that God's with you and that we live under the influence and the power of the Holy Spirit and that God is exceedingly kind and unspeakably patient with each and every one of us. Will you pray with me? Father, tonight, when we learn about your children and we look at the oppression that they had, we just lift them up and we lift up our lives as well because there's so many things that are happening. And I just ask that you would help us increase our faith, that we would use our faith, we would help it grow like a muscle to use it and grow closer to you. And Father, tonight, we just lift up your church. As we know that as we look into 2022, Father, you have great things planned. And we pray in expectation of what you're going to do. And as we look at next week, prayer week, we lift up prayer week. As your people come together to pray, to lift their prayers up to you, knowing that you hear our prayers, how powerful that will be. Well, thank you for everyone who's here tonight. Give us wisdom, discernment as we leave. Give us safety as we travel home. And may your Holy Spirit just rain down upon us. Guide us and direct us and help us to be more aware of your presence each and every day. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you for listening to the Calvary Chapel Sebastian podcast channel. If this message impacted your life, we encourage you to share it with a friend. We're located at 1251 Sebastian Boulevard, just northeast of intersection 90th Avenue and State Road 512 in Sebastian, Florida. Our service times are Saturday evening at 6 p.m., Sunday morning at 1045 a.m., and Wednesdays at 630 p.m.